like to invite you to take a copy of God's Word and turn to the book of Ephesians 5. We'll also have it on the screen. Give you a moment to turn to Ephesians 5. If I have not had the chance to meet you, my name is Brian. I'm the new assistant pastor here at Strong Tower and church planner in Bartow. So send greetings from Oak City Church in Bartow, your church plant. And it's a pleasure to be able to open God's Word uh, with you and to you today. So Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to start with verse 21 through 33. Hear the word of the Lord. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And it is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. And just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may take a seat. Well, um, happy Mother's Day. After, yeah, that's... uh, this is an uh, interesting passage to preach on Mother's Day. You may be saying, "Why, Brian, I brought visitors today. I brought grandparents. Why would you preach such a passage on Mother's Day? Well, uh, it's not my fault. It was what was on the schedule. See, if you don't know, we are part of a network of churches that uh, all pretty much preach the same text. And I don't know what they were thinking to put this on the schedule for Mother's Day, but it is... And, uh, and, and it is what it is. And so, um, I'm sorry. Um, why are you preaching? Well, because our beloved pastor decided to leave on sabbatical just in time for me to preach on roles in marriage on Mother's Day, for Oscar to preach on slavery, uh, and for Stephen to preach on spiritual warfare. So, um, I'm going to tag this text. Thanks a lot, Ben. Enjoy your vacay. Awesome. I'm going to pray. Jesus, I need you because this is a heavy text and uh, this is a glorious day. This is the day that you have made. Uh, Let us rejoice and be glad. Lord, we thank you that uh, while the grass withers and the flowers fade, your word abides forever. And so, Lord, we pray that you would um, allow it to produce within us um, salvation and belief for those who don't know you that it would produce uh, a growth in godliness and sanctification, that we would look more like you, Jesus, after hearing your word preached this morning. Please use me, a crooked stick, to point your people to the way, the truth, and life. 
you, Lord Jesus. And we ask these things in your name. Amen. Well, it was almost 22 years ago, after I was newly married, that I had um, a really stupid idea. And the idea was, well, maybe I should blame my father. I don't know. He may be here. But um, he had actually purchased um, some fireworks uh, for me and had gifted them to me. And um, if you know anything about my family growing up, we love shooting off fireworks. And so this wasn't like the little uh, firecrackers or anything. This is one of the projectile. You know, you have the tube, you throw the ball in, and it shoots it up. And we grew up doing fireworks in Highland City, you know, off of Clubhouse Road, especially back in the day. There wasn't much, you know, activity and homes out there. We would do Corsica's Dynamite and things like that. That was just kind of how we grew up. And so, but I was newly married, and I was living in downtown Montgomery, and I was living in an apartment in downtown Montgomery. And for some reason, in my mind, I thought I could shoot fireworks off in the middle of downtown Montgomery, uh, despite the fact that my very wise wife, Ella, who grew up in Dallas, Texas, where not only can you not shoot off fireworks in Dallas, Texas, you can't even park on your grass in Dallas, Texas. Isn't that weird, right? So lots of limitations. So we have Someone from Dallas, Texas, someone from Polk County coming together in Montgomery, Alabama, and I want to shoot off fireworks in the middle of downtown, in the middle of our parking lot, in our apartment uh, parking lot. And we get into this big fight about whether it's okay for me to shoot off these fireworks. And I decided to wield my authority as the husband and tell her that we're going to do this. Not only we're going to do this, but I'm going to make you come out and watch this because I want to see the joy in your face when these fireworks go up in the middle of downtown Montgomery. Boom! It goes off. A lot bigger than I thought it was going to be. In the middle of downtown Montgomery, every car alarm starts going off. Every dog starts barking. Every neighbor starts coming out. And I look at my wife, and I realize she was right. I'm an idiot. And so I grabbed her, and we jumped in the car, and we took off. Because I didn't want any kind of evidence that I was the culprit, and I was a new youth pastor in Montgomery, Alabama. That was 22 years ago, and I, I, well, actually, so fast forward a little bit. A week later, we're in the middle of counseling, and we're talking, and we're unpacking this whole uh, uh, deal out that I just described. And at one point, the uh, counselor said, well, Ella, do you think Brian made you sin? And she was like, well, yeah. <laughs> and I'm sitting there thinking, it was fireworks, come on, you know? And, uh, but she was right. That was a very foolish, stupid decision on my part. It was very poor leadership and certainly uh, was uh, allowing her to sin against her conscience. And I wish I could say that that was just this anomaly in our marriage, that that was me being 22 years old and things like that. Maybe that hasn't happened, but um, other things have shown how foolish and how um, idiotic I can be in my leadership in my marriage and I bet that uh, it's silly, stupid things like that, and even worse case uh, examples that allow women uh, to read passages like this and say, there's no way I'm going to submit to idiots like Brian. Not going to happen. Um, but um, what if, what if, because we walk into these passages with so much cultural baggage, we walk into these pas- passages with hurts and abuse is very real. Um, and, and we question, like, you know, can this really, should this really apply to us today? 
But what if the goal of this passage is to replace our understanding of our already culturally defined roles with a Christ-defined role? I'll say that again. What if the goal of this passage is to replace our understanding of our already culturally defined roles with a Christ-defined role? What if God wants to redefine every aspect of our family life in relation to Jesus rather than what we have grown up with? And that is going to be my task today. And let me just say, there's just no way I'm going to be able to answer every, every question you have. There's no way I can unpack everything in the short amount of time that we have. You know, some of you are going to say, well, he did not go far enough. Others are going to say, he went way too far. And maybe I'll be right where I need to be if I'm somewhere between those two uh, criticisms. But I will say this, I'd be happy to talk to you. I may not have the answers, but I'd be happy to talk to you after the service and say, how, how do you think this practically could apply to this situation and to, to my marriage? Because I really won't have time to look at a lot of examples. But I do want to jump in. I want us to consider the context. Okay, biblically speaking, we've been going through the book of Ephesians. Right? The first three chapters of Ephesians is gospel doctrine. It's the theology. It's orthodoxy. It's all the beautiful foundation of who we are in Christ and what Christ has done for us. Uh, Ephesians 4 through 6 is the orthopraxy. It's the right living. It's how does the gospel impact how we live out our life in this world and the kingdom of God. And Ephesians 5, we didn't look at this last week, but Ephesians 5 is all about being imitators of Christ, walking as Christ did. You know, not giving into sexual sin, not getting drunk, being filled with the Spirit. And Paul explains in the context of Ephesians 5 that being filled with the Spirit uh, looks like corporate worship. It looks like prayers of thanksgiving. And it looks like mutual submission to one another out of reverence for Christ. And that's what verse 21 says. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, the question would be, how does Paul go from submitting to one another out of the reverence for, reverence for Christ to verse 22 saying, wives, submit to your own husbands? Which is it? What is Paul trying to communicate here? Well, I think one of the things that Paul is trying to show us is what he's been explaining this whole letter and the, the, the very fact that we are one in Jesus Christ. That Ephesians 2 talked about that dividing wall of hostility between Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, has been taken down. That we are one in Jesus Christ. That's the incredible mystery that Paul keeps on talking about, this unity in Christ Jesus. And because we are one in Christ Jesus, he says in Galatians 3.28 that there is neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There's no male or female, for you are one in Jesus Christ. And as being one in Jesus Christ, we are called to lovingly submit to one another, to humble ourselves and to serve one another. That's the general truth of Christianity because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. Now, some would say, like the passage in Galatians, there's neither male or female. This would basically just uh, make what Paul says in, in Ephesians 5, 22, moving on, uh, uh, obsolete. It's no longer applicable because if there's no male or female, then there's no roles in marriage. But I think it's very important that we understand that there is a difference between the unity of who we are in Jesus Christ, that every single one of us is made in the image of God. Every single one of us has dignity, value, and worth. We are equal in that sense. And as believers, we are equally children of God, whether we're black, white, male, female, slave, free. There is a unity within what, what 
the big word that people use is ontology, our very essence and being of who we are. There is a unity. But there is a difference in the roles that we live out in this world or the economy that we have in this world. So, image bearers being unified doesn't ignore the economy of God's institution of family. There's a difference between the persons on one hand and the roles on the other. Equality of worth is not identical of role. Okay? So, my child has the same dignity, value, and worth as me, but we have different roles. Right? He is created, she is created in the image of God. She's a child of the king, but we have different roles, different authorities and responsibilities as, as, in, in, that, that's in our family. So I think that's one thing that we have to keep in mind, that, that there's a difference between being one in Christ and having roles in the economy of house and work, as we'll see next week. But I think Paul's also setting up in verse 21 this different economy. See, we're, we're going to look at today the economy of, in, in the household. In this case, wives submitting to husbands. Next week, to employees submitting to employers and children submitting to parents. So he's trying to set up this economy that we've been talking about. Now, I know when you read this passage, you hear this passage, many of us might be thinking, this is so culturally oppressive. How, how can the church even preach on this, much less read it and believe this? Well, let me just help you understand what the culture was like that Paul was writing this in. In the ancient world, there was a general disdain for women, which was almost universal. One uh, scholar says this, the Jews had a low view of women. In the Jewish form of a morning prayer that some of us know, there was a sentence in which a Jewish man every morning gave thanks that God had made him, that God had not made him a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. In Jewish law, a woman was not a person, but a thing. She had no legal rights whatsoever. She was absolutely in her husband's possession to do with as he willed. The position was worse in the Greek world. The whole Greek way of life made companionship between man and wife next to impossible. The Greek expected his wife to run his home, to care for his legitimate children, but he found his pleasure in his companionship elsewhere. In the, Roman, in, in the Roman Empire, he writes, a girl was completely under her father, a wife completely under her husband's power. She was chattel. Her life was one of legal incapacity, which amounted to enslavement. Now, this was part of the picture with Jewish and Rome, but there was also a, another side of women standing up for their rights. Particularly Paul in Ephesus is dealing in, in a, a pagan city that's worshiping the goddess of Artemis, Diana. And this is producing a whole group of women that are fighting for their rights. It says, as for Ephesus and its environment, the cult of the great mother in the Artemis temple stamped this city more than others as a bastion and bulwark of women's rights rejecting any roles of submission. So it's in this dark context that Paul is writing this letter, between these real extremes, one treating women completely horrifically as, as slaves, as worse as slaves, as objects, as not people, as not image bearers, to women saying that we don't have to submit to anyone, we're on our own. 
And so Paul is, is asking the church in Ephesus, he says, listen, I want you to be countercultural. I want you to be in Ephesus, and I don't want you to be one of these or, or, or either of these extremes. I want you to be the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is that you're going to look different. And the church is going to look different in how they submit and how they lead in love in the sacrificial way of Jesus. And he's asking us, Strong Tower, today to live in such a way of a culture that has all types of extremes. What does it look like for a strong tower to live out this roles in marriage in the way, in the sacrificial way of Jesus? Well, Paul jumps into the first part in Ephesians 5, 22 through 24 and 33. He says, wives, submit to your own husbands, as to the Lord. Let me break this down a little bit. Submit. This verb is actually not present in verse 22, but it's pointing back to verse 21. There's no verb in verse 22, but it's assuming what Paul said, submitting to one another out of reverence. The root word, hypotasomai, means submit. That's the word, excuse me, the root word of that is taxis, which means order. So essentially what Paul is saying is submission is a humble recognition of divine ordering of society. Paul is creating an order here. Excuse me, Paul. God is creating an order here. Paul is explaining how God has organized the economy within the whole. A, a humble recognition, recognition of the divine ordering of society. Now, he says, wives, submit to your own husbands. It's important that you don't gloss over that clause of, of your own husbands. It's very important because, again, in this day and age, uh, the way that the men viewed women is that all women, again, should submit to them, whether they're wives or not. That they were a woman, they didn't have any value, so do what I say. But that's not what Paul's saying. He's pushing a bit back against the culture that you have men seeing themselves as superior over women, and therefore all women should submit. Paul says, no, that's not what I'm saying. And we even see that today in our culture. There are some in our culture today in this extreme patriarchal view that says a woman, whether uh, you know she's my wife or not, should always submit and not have any kind of leadership roles in this world. And that's wrong. That's unbiblical. Thank God we had Lacey up here leading us today, okay? Paul is pushing against that garbage. And he's saying that's not gospel. Wives, submit to your husbands, your own husbands. Your own husbands, right? As to the Lord... Now, this is important, too. As to the Lord, again, Paul is pushing against these false narratives, these false understandings of patriarchy, and he says, listen, I know we live in a world that's so messed up that's telling you to submit to all men. That's wrong, and I know that you feel like you don't have any choice, but what I'm trying to tell you is that the motivation I want you to submit your husbands is to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the motivation. This is the clearest distinction of how Paul is pushing against the twisted uh, economies of the Greco uh, Roman Greco world and Jewish Greco world he's living in. He gives this Christocentric motivation for the call of the wife to joyfully submit to her husband. How does that look? What does that look like? Uh, Paul is trying to show that uh, this is God's design and that, see, God has actually given an authority in her life for her good and protection. 
And I know it's hard because we've seen so many abuses of this. And so we can't even fathom that, that submission can be a beautiful thing. But the ideal is that the wife submits under the glorious, beautiful care and protection and leadership of her husband. And I think that it's implicit in the later verses that wives, when you model this, the, when, you, when you submit to your husbands, you are modeling the submission of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Right? This is at the heart of the gospel, that Jesus himself submitted to the Father. Constantly in the gospels, he always, he always is saying, I am here to do the will of my Father. Now, Jesus is equal in glory and power and majesty as the Father. In the great Godhead, there's no distinction between the equality of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But clearly, there's a different economy, like we were talking about before. And what Jesus is saying here is, my job is to do the will of the Father. To the point in the garden when he is sweating blood, and he says, if there's any other way, God, please let this cut pass, but not my will, but your will be done. Jesus was willing to submit under the care and protection, hear that, the care and the protection and the shepherding and love of the Father. That's the ideal in Christian marriage, that wives would submit under the loving care and protection and the leadership of the husband. And why do they submit? He goes on to say, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church his body. Some would argue here that head um, means source or, 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 or origin. It's not authority. It's like the head of a river, the beginning of a river. And what Paul is just trying to say there is that the woman, you know, came from Adam. And so he is the source for life. But, but scholars have looking at 2,336 usage of this word head, and none of them refer to that idea of origin and source. And I think the context here, talking about the leadership of Jesus, that he is the head of the church, is that Paul is talking about this, this, um, this responsibility that husbands have over their wives to protect and care for them. Some would say this is just cultural. This is just something we can throw out of the letter of, of, of Ephesians. But 1 Corinthians 11, a parallel passage, would say that this is rooted in creation itself. And that Adam was made first and Eve came from him. It's interesting when you look at and consider Genesis 3 and consider when Eve uh, took of the fruit and sin came in the world and then Jesus came and what did they do? Adam and Eve hid and who did God go after? Adam. He said, Adam, where are you? Why are you hiding Adam? What have you done, Adam? Why? Because Adam was designed and created to be the head and protection, the care of Eve and he failed. And he was the one who was held accountable. So we can see that back in creation itself. Verse 24, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Submit to everything to their husbands. He's talking about in, in, in all areas, but let me be very clear that um, not when your husband um, is calling you to sin, like I was <laughs> for uh, Ella with that fireworks, as silly as an example that was. You're not to submit your husbands when he calls you to sin, right? The apostles showed us that straight up when the uh, Sanhedrin said, you cannot preach. And they said, uh, our job is to serve the Lord over you. So uh, not when your husband calls you to sin, and certainly not when there's abuse. The church has been way too quiet. 
historically on sexual and physical, emotional abuse. And they've said, just keep it in house and don't go to authorities. And that's wrong. Okay? That's wrong. That's not what Paul has in mind when he says, submit in everything. That can be distorted. And I did not want to miss that opportunity to talk about that. What Paul is doing here is he's unpacking this marriage picture that we're going to see more clearly in a moment here between Christ and the church. That Christians ultimately uh, submit to Christ in salvation, admitting that we're not capable on our own to save ourselves. But we come under the salvation. We come under the care and protection of our Savior. And, and wives, while your husband is not your Savior and your, your husband is not your Redeemer, he is a gift of God to protect and nurture you, providing a context where you would desire to come under his care. I'll say that again. While your husband is not your Savior and Redeemer, he is a gift of God to protect and nurture you by providing a context where you would desire to come under his care. Okay? See, you serve Christ by coming under the, the, the protection care of your husband that God has placed over you, wives. So, wives, maybe you could ask these questions. How can I visibly demonstrate respect? He'll later on say, the wives, to, to respect the husband. And the actual word there is fear, and that's confusing because you don't want to fear your husband. But the idea is to have a reverence for the authority that God has put on the husband over you, that you have a reverence for God. You see, that's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.3. This is very important, 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. I want you to understand the head of every man is Christ. The head of the wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God. Do you see the economy? You're reverencing the very authority and the role that Christ has given your husband to watch and care over you and protect you. Even though there have been many, many abuses, that is the Christian ideal. How will I communicate by words, attitudes, and actions that I support him? Well, he goes on for husbands, Ephesians 5, 25 through, through 33. Interesting enough, there's four verses to talk about wives. There's nine verses to talk about husbands. So I guess maybe this is good to, to preach this on Mother's Day because really it's a call about husbands loving their wives. Now, listen, we love ourselves. We do. We love ourselves right? I don't know if that makes us narcissistic or not. I don't know, but we love ourselves, and I'll prove how much you love yourselves and how much I love yourselves. I won't, but a USA Today poll will in 2016 tells us how much we love ourselves. Let me just tell you, how much do you spend time primping yourself in front of the mirror? If you're a teenage girl, 7.7 hours a week, okay? If you're an adult woman, 6.4 hours a week, that's 55 minutes every day, 335 hours a year, two weeks a year, and five months every decade, you are primping yourself because you love yourself, and I love myself, right? That's reality. Adult men, you're not off the hook. 4.5 hours a week. Teenage boys, four hours a week, okay? How much time do you spend thinking about yourselves? Adult women worry about their appearance, 67% at least once a week or more. Men aren't far behind either, with 53% regularly worrying about their appearance. 77% of adult women and 80% of teen girls complained about their appearance to someone at least once in the past month. Appearance worries uh, uh, hits moms doubly hard. Happy Mother's Day. 73% of 
of moms regularly worry about their appearance compared to 65% of women without children. 41% adult women say that selfies and other flattering online photos make them feel more confident. But 46% say overall, and that seems really low, overall social media makes me feel more self-conscious about my appearance. Now, when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, he knows this and more, that we love ourselves. We nurture ourselves. We cherish ourselves. We care about ourselves. And then Paul says, oh, yeah, husbands, love your wives like you love yourselves. Ouch. Yeah, big failure on Brian right here because I love myself, and I don't always love my wife like I love myself. I cherish and nurture myself, but I don't cherish and nurture my wife like I love myself. That's what Paul is saying here. Okay? Now, we'll say this is a lesser motivation of the two that he gives us, but it is a legit motivation. He says, in the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Husbands, what if we focus just a fraction of the time that we focus on ourselves and loved our wives in such a way? Our wives would grow in amazing ways if we did. You see, what Paul is trying to show us here is this. This is very important, that we begin to see husbands and wives that to be head of your wife is not about abusing your authority. It's not about getting your way, husbands, but about nurturing and caring for her. Living with her in an understanding way as a fragile, precious face instead of a galvanized garbage can. Biblical headship is the opposite of a sense of superiority and arbitrary, selfish, prideful, and capricious rule. Biblical headship is not exercising your authority for your personal privilege, but using your authority for the benefit of your wife and family. Biblical headship shifts the focus of husbands from taking charge to taking responsibility and giving oneself to the good of another. Very different from how many of us have ever seen this idea of biblical headship. It begins, when you begin to see the beauty of biblical headship, you begin to understand the beauty of submission under that protection and care. You're going to want to be under that protection and care when someone is there to love you and cherish and nourish you. And it's interesting because Paul goes on, he says, when, when you get married, you leave and cleave and you become one. And he's, he's talking about this incredible mystery of Christ in the church. He says, I'm really talking about something bigger than marriage, but he's talking about this incredible, mysterious union that a husband and wife has. And so it's really quite foolish, husbands, when we degrade our wife, when we insult our wife, when we don't nourish, protect them, because we're shooting ourselves in the foot, because we're one with her. And yet somehow... Somehow, I don't get it. I went to a marriage retreat, and, and they said something that, that they'll never forget, and they said this, your spouse is not your enemy. And I remember hearing that, and I was like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Of course my spouse is not my enemy. But then you start living marriage and realize, oh, yeah, I have to tell myself that all the time. My spouse is not my enemy. Hear that. Your spouse is not your enemy. You are one. Now, there's a greater motivation, even more than the lesser motivation of loving yourself, and that is the gospel. 
And then it's Jesus, verse 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that she might, excuse me, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. How do we husbands love our church as Christ? love the church. Well, the first one is this. Jesus gave himself up for us. Husbands, you love your wives by giving yourselves up, by dying to self, by denying yourself. This is the heart of the gospel. Loving your wives by denying yourselves. There is a death in marriage, a death to self, a self-denial. Jesus himself said, that I came not to be served, but to serve and give my life as a ransom for many. Secondly, it says that he's sanctifying her. He's sanctifying the church. Husbands, you love your wives by sanctifying her, by leading her in the word, by letting Jesus grow in her and she becomes and looks more and more like Jesus, by leading your family, studying God's word, being in corporate worship, making your spiritual uh, nourishment and diet a high priority in your, your, your marriage. And then he goes on and he says, so that he may present the church to himself in splendor without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. That ultimately, husbands, you are loving and leading your wives that they may become more and more beautiful externally and internally in Jesus. That you're committed to the beauty of of your wife because Christ is commuted, committed to the beauty of his church. One of the greatest advantages, one of the most fun advantages, I should say, of being a pastor um, is to be able to do weddings, is to be able to sit up there and to be able to stand next to the groom and to be able to watch uh, the bride come in. And it's so beautiful because when the bride comes in, she is just gorgeous, right? And the groom, his mouth just drops open. And his face is just dumbfounded. He can't believe how gorgeous and beautiful she is. That's going to be us, the church, one day. When Jesus comes back without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. That's the glory. That, that is what Jesus went to the cross for, for the joy that was set before him. It was the church without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. That she would be the bride of Christ, and Jesus is coming back to claim his bride one day, and we're going to just feast with him and live in perfect, beautiful marriage with him forever and in eternity. May God use us, husbands and wives, that we would model the beauty of Christ in the church. In conclusion, I said I won't be able to handle all the all the different things, questions like, who, who's responsible for disciplining the kids? Who should be in charge of the checkbook? Who does the laundry? Is it okay for a wife to work outside the home? Can husbands stay home and be a homemaker? How do you decide which family responsibilities belong to you and to which belong to your spouse? Yeah, those are great questions. And it's interesting, you won't find an answer to those questions in the Bible. <laughs> The Bible doesn't present a laundry list of do's and don'ts. Well, the husbands take out the trash and the wives change the diapers. No, you don't see that. Because each home looks different and each culture looks, looks different. 
Okay, you won't see that, but those are interesting questions to be able to flesh out within the beautiful uh, unity of your marriage. Okay, but let me tell you this, the bedrock principle behind all this is love. Love is the major principle, no matter what your culture, traditions, or your preferences are. The Bible teaches that in every relationship, your first responsibility is what? Love. No matter how marital roles are defined, there are only different expressions of love love, where the wives are submitting to husbands and the husbands are leading and loving the wives. Often when we discuss marital roles, we never ask the most important questions. For example, am I expressing love to my spouse through this role? Am I carrying out my role in a way that benefits my spouse? God calls husbands and wives to act in love for the benefit of the other. Now, not only is Christ's sacrifice in the gospel the model for a biblical marriage, but it is the strength and the power for a biblical marriage. Because if you're like me, this text just leveled me. And I, you probably feel like there is no way I can do this. And you're right. You can't by yourselves. Okay? Jesus came for you because you don't have the ability and the power. But Jesus is also giving you his spirit. So if you're a Christian, you do have Holy Spirit power. And by God's grace and the Holy Spirit, you are becoming more and more like him, and he's empowering you. So it's only by the grace and the power of God that we can move towards a biblical marriage. The gospel is our great model and our great motivation and our great power. Amen, amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for... This text, thank you for oh, thank you for loving us so much when we are so rebellious. Thank you for nurturing and caring us, caring for us when we just push against you and we just want to do our own thing. Lord, forgive me for not loving my wife as you have loved the church. Uh, forgive me for not nourishing and cherishing her. Lord, thank you that uh, your grace is real. And it is so real. And um, thank you that I'm not saved by, by, by my works because I'd be in big, big trouble. Thank you that I'm saved by your work, Lord Jesus, for what you've done. And how the Bible and the gospel is all about you pursuing your bride and, and redeeming her. And we long for the day when we will be with you, married forever, Lord Jesus, and perfect harmony when the kingdom comes. And until then, Lord, give us the grace and the power and the perseverance to love and lead our wives and to submit and respect our husbands. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.